Hello and welcome to the Forge Church Catch-Up Podcast. We're delighted that you've chosen to press play on this podcast today. My name is Johnny and I'm part of the teaching team here at the Forge. Each Sunday, our hope and prayer is to provide practical teaching directed by God that ties into everyday life. We hope that today's talk encourages you. Hey, good morning, everyone, and welcome to the first of a two-part Christmas series, Wonderful Anticipation. If you're like me, you will have probably spent the last few days opening up doors on Advent calendars uh, as the wonderful anticipation towards Christmas begins. In fact, I'd say that anticipation is really woven into both the Christmas story as well as the traditions and emotions that we hold on to at this time of year. I mean, think about it, whether it was Mary waiting nine months for the birth of Jesus or the kings from the east waiting for a sign in the sky, or maybe it was the shepherds waiting for something to happen that might bring them out of the place of routine or danger or poverty that they were in. Or maybe today, whether it's the advent calendars counting down the days until the big day itself, or driving home in the dark, noticing which of your neighbors have put out Christmas lights, or whether it's just the anticipation for the Christmas dinner after packing out the fridge after the big Christmas shop. Uh, Perhaps for you, it's the anticipation that comes after the consideration of choosing the perfect gift for someone. Uh, And maybe if you're a child or a teacher, you'll be counting down the days for the Christmas holidays. Uh, Or maybe you're counting down the days until you get to see loved ones again, or even wondering what it is that's wrapped under the Christmas tree. Christmas is a time of wonderful anticipation. Uh, So wonderful that each year comes the debate over when it's acceptable to put up your Christmas tree and listen to Christmas music. Uh, My friend Nettie, who heads up first impressions for our physical gatherings here at The Forge, uh, she posted this online last week and it caused perhaps a little bit of controversy. Just says here, everyone's posting pictures of their Christmas tree, so here's mine as it's still November. Not sure if we're on the same page with that one, Nettie. But it remains true that the beauty and the wonder of Christmas comes in large part to the anticipation involved, which is really an exception to the rule of how we normally live our lives. Uh, Because when it comes to almost every other aspect of our lives, we don't like to wait. I mean, think about it. Anticipation is waiting when it's fun. And waiting is almost never normally fun. Anticipation is when there is a predictable outcome, whilst waiting is when there's an element of the unknown in play. Uh, So whether it's waiting or anticipating, uh, the time that we have to spend in that waiting time really acts as a catalyst for the emotion that we're already feeling. I mean, if we're a little bit excited, then waiting really brings up that excitement. If we're a little bit frustrated or angry or stressed or anxious, waiting just increases that tenfold. I mean, how many of you have ever been running late for something and got mad at a car in front of you for driving the speed limit? I mean, it just raises the emotion. Uh, 
It's true, waiting is manageable when the result is predictable, but becomes unbearable when the results feel questionable. Let me say that again. Waiting is manageable when the result is predictable, but becomes unbearable when the result feels questionable. When I know what it is that's coming and when it's going to arrive, I have anticipation. If I'm unsure of either what it is or when it arrives, the waiting becomes unbearable. A number of years ago, Timex, uh, the watchmaker, did a study on how long people are prepared to wait for different things. They found that people are prepared to wait on average 13 seconds before honking a car when they don't go at a green light. They're prepared to wait 26 seconds before they hush someone who's talking too loudly in the cinema, 26 seconds before taking the seat of someone who walks away, 20 minutes before walking away uh, if a blind date doesn't arrive, and 20 minutes to wait for the last person to show up for a meal before they decide to order. Now, if you're like me, you'll probably be thinking right now, who are all these patient people? I mean, there is just no way I would wait 13 seconds at a traffic light. Uh, if it's a green light and the car in front of me isn't moving, I know I'll honk my horn. Uh, and I know that it'll take me a lot less time than 26 seconds to tell someone to shut up in a cinema if they're talking too loud. But here's the thing. When it comes to waiting, we don't tend to like it, and we're not very good at it. In a world where everything is available on demand, 24-7, click and collect, next day delivery, buy now, pay later, we don't like waiting. Phones are rarely, uh, rarely even ask for passwords anymore, uh, they just need a camera to recognize your face. Uh, so that when you look into it, your phone just says, I know you, you want to get in now. Waiting is manageable when the result is predictable, but becomes unbearable when the result feels questionable. Whilst our Christmas traditions have turned waiting into anticipating, the story of Christmas tells a story where waiting was involved but not in the kind of way which was particularly predictable. Uh, today then I want to jump into a part of the Christmas story that's relatively untold. Uh, in fact, despite being part of the Christmas story, it really acts kind of as a subplot to what we would probably see as the main event. In fact, if you're new to church, if you're watching for the first time today, then you may have never uh, heard of this part of the Christmas story. And if you are familiar with church, then maybe it's been a little while since you've heard this part of it too. We find it right at the beginning of chapter 2 in a book called Luke, uh, who gives one of the accounts of Jesus's life. It says this, At the time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. So there was a man called Simeon. We don't really know all that much about him. Uh, there is no mention that he's some uh, particular priest or anyone of particular importance. Uh, what we do know is three things. Number one, he was devout. Number two, he was righteous. And thirdly, he was eagerly waiting, eagerly waiting for the Messiah, who through the prophets of old and the promises of God that had been passed down from generation to generation uh, would uh, tell of how one day there would be a man who would come and rescue the the people of Israel. Uh, what did they need rescuing from? Well, some would have said the corrupt political system. Others would have said the oppressive rule of the Roman Empire. Others would have said more generally the evil that had grown and organized itself in the world that each of us contribute to. 
Now, at this time, there was already several different sects within the Jewish religion uh, of whom were about in ancient Israel. Uh, there were those who had bought into the Hellenistic Greek, Greek cultural norms. Uh, there were others who were uh, fierce revolutionaries, incredibly devout, but at the expense of perhaps doing what was righteous against the Roman Empire. Uh, there were some who devoted themselves in just silent study and had kind of separated themselves so much from the rest of the world that they kind of missed the point as well. There were others whose Judaism was so engrossed with a political agenda, uh, which had really just become so incredibly corrupt. Whilst there were others who were pretty much just fed up of waiting for the coming of this Messiah, that they'd concluded that the reason that this Messiah hadn't come yet was because everyone else was doing things wrong, uh, and that they weren't doing things as they were doing things, as the religious people were doing, as they followed the commandments which had been held for thousands of years, stemming back from what they would have called the Law of Moses. What's kind of interesting is that within each of these groups, there were certain things that they would champion, uh, and then there'd be other things where they would kind of miss the point. But in the midst of everything, where everyone seemed to have an agenda or an idea of how to do things right, we don't really know where Simeon fitted in with it all, but what we do know is that he was there every day, just seeking intentionally and earnestly away in the midst of the noise of a world to look to find a way that brought about peace. Not giving in to the blame game or the corruption or the temptation of the Greeks nor the harm of the revolutionaries, but seemingly having an understanding that if things were going to get better, then it wasn't going to be down to a political system or anything that anyone was going to be able to do, but instead a gift of God, a Messiah that had been promised long ago, perhaps not really fully knowing what, was the, what this was going to mean or how this was going to play out. But Simeon every day was there eagerly waiting. And it says this, that the Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not, uh, he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. The personal presence of God in the midst of the noise, gently revealing that whilst everyone else seemed to be searching, that he would find him waiting. That whilst everyone else was looking, the Messiah would come to him if he just kept waiting. Now, within the culture of this day, when a child was born, the Jewish law required the parents to travel to Jerusalem after eight days, where the child would be officially named and dedicated within the temple. Uh, it was a law that was really given and designed to allow the Israelite people to look back on their own history and acknowledge the brokenness of the world and the way that they'd contributed to that brokenness. But would also remind them that there is a God uh, and that by the grace of God, uh, that he wants to partner with them nonetheless. And so this happens. That day, the spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, the, as the law required, Simeon was there. Now imagine for a second what would have happened if Simeon had decided to take the day off. Imagine for a second if he'd missed it. Imagine that in the midst of a world that was searching for all the answers in all the wrong places that Simeon on that day decided to join them instead. He would have missed the most monumental moment of his life. He'd have missed the moment. This moment. He took the child in his arms and praising God, he said, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace, as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, 
which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations. And he is the glory of your people, Israel. Purpose fulfilled. God, I've seen your plan. I've seen your way. I now know that you haven't given up on this, uh, given up on us. I know that your heart is still for us. I know that the darkness of this world is not inevitable. And there is, uh, there is more to this world than just that. God, now I can die. I've nothing left to do. You know, several years ago, I met someone uh, really like this over the phone. Uh, I was eating breakfast with some friends one morning, and they started sharing some stories about this uh, guy called Bill. Um, they were like, dude, you just have to meet Bill. This guy uh, is just sold out when it comes to his faith. Like every day he doesn't stop, and he just goes all out for helping the poor and serving other people's needs and, and talking about God's heart for people. Uh, this guy is just always sharing, always giving and just never seems to stop. And so one day my friend Seb, he got out his phone and said, listen, I'm just going to call uh, call Bill and say, hey, Bill, and let's just see how long it takes for him to start talking about Jesus. Uh, and so me and my friends gathered around the phone and uh, my friend Seb put Bill on the phone on loudspeaker and said, hey, Bill, and Bill picks up and just straight away says, Seb, how are you doing? It's so good to hear from you. Thank you for calling me. Listen, would you mind if I just prayed for you? I mean, I was speaking to Jesus today and, and here are the things that I think he wants us to know. And, and Bill for like 10 minutes was just off, just sold out uh, to everything he believed in. And, and eventually Bill paused for breath and my friend friend Andy said, hey, Bill, I've got a question for you. If you knew that you had 24 hours to live, where would you be after 23? I mean, it's a cool question. And we were all just waiting for some holy answer where Bill would describe how he's going to be preaching to the nations or something. But Bill paused and he just said, you know what? I'd probably just be watching the cricket uh, because that's what I had planned for tomorrow anyway. And he said, listen, if I was doing anything differently tomorrow to normal, just because I knew that I was going to die, then I wouldn't have been living my day right in the first place. I want to live every day the way I was supposed to live. Hey, for some of you, you're waiting. Uh, there are things that God has put on your heart that you may not have even realized are God-given dreams. Uh, passions, joys, challenges, dreams that, that you sit with and perhaps live with a sense of, well, either hopelessness or frustration that it's never going to really happen. Because you're in the space of not now and not yet. Uh, listen, I believe that God wants to give good gifts to his children. Uh, but he wants to give good gifts at the best time. Uh, my friend Joel puts it like this. He says, we often want for our children what our children want for themselves. We just don't always want it for them now. I mean, think about it. If you have a child who asks to drive the car, it's not that you don't ever want them to be able to drive. It's just that you don't think it's right for them to be able to drive right now. Uh, likewise, if you have a kid who wants to eat pizza, it's not that you don't ever want them to eat pizza. It's just that there's a time for pizza which might not be in that moment. I've lost count of the prayers that I pray in which I'm thankful that God decided to make me wait. Uh, let me ask you, what are the dreams, the things that burn inside you waiting to come out uh, that you somehow have managed to lull asleep? Because whilst the time might not be now, there is value in the way in which we wait for those things. Let me put it to you like this. Waiting is unfulfilled space, time where we are not where we started, nor where we wish to end up, but we get to decide what we do within that space. 
In fact, I would say uh, that when you intentionally fill the space of waiting, you're no longer waiting, you're anticipating. And for Simeon, it was filling it with devotion and righteousness and keeping an open ear to heaven. And when the day came, he wasn't busy. He wasn't unprepared. He didn't have to put anything off. He was ready. Here's an equation that I think we see. I think that when you follow God's way and listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, you find a supernatural synchronicity. God shows up and shows off and transforms our plans into something bigger. Whether it's a book that needs to be written, an organization that needs to be risen, a family that needs to be created, or a mission that needs fulfilling, a child that needs adopting, a neighborhood that needs welcoming. What is it that you have on your heart? What is it that you are currently waiting for? Because waiting is unfulfilled space that you get to choose how to fill. And when you fill it, when you fill it intentionally, you're no longer waiting you're anticipating. Think about it like this. When we tell extraordinary stories of people in the past, we tend to do something that I think gives us a false impression of how things happen. We tend to focus on the beginning of the story and the end of the story, and we cut out the significance of the middle. Think about it. On the 25th of May, 1961, Kennedy set the audacious goal of man walking on the moon. 21st of July 1969, Neil Armstrong took one small step for man. But let me ask you, what happened on Tuesday the 22nd of June 1965? I'm not sure if anyone knows, uh, but what people perhaps didn't know was that on that ordinary Tuesday, it would have been exactly the midpoint between Kennedy's announcement and Armstrong's first step. And whilst Armstrong was probably waiting he was certainly not inactive. He was ready and training. Armstrong turned waiting into anticipating. 1962, Nelson Mandela was in the midst of apartheid, was charged with inciting workers' strikes and leaving the country without permission. He would spend 27 years in prison. And But then on the 10th of May, 1994, he would start his reign as president of South Africa. I wonder what he was thinking on the 22nd of June, 1978, the halfway point from his arrest to the start of his presidency, as he continued to sit in that prison cell. It's a day that really isn't recorded, but a day that he lived, not waiting, but anticipating. We all want today to be the story where something happened, but what if today was the central day? What if was the day, today was the day where you turned waiting into anticipating? God didn't design you to hold anger injustice or hope for something better for nothing. When we partner with him and obey the prompting of the Holy Spirit, God shows up and shows off. Waiting is unfulfilled space and we get to choose how we fill it. And when we intentionally fill it, we're no longer waiting. We're anticipating. Hey, let me pray for us. Father God, people watching this right now, I know and I believe you have a plan for their hearts, a plan for their lives, and that you've put things within them that was, that was always supposed to come out, wrestling against the injustices of the world and seeking to love those who perhaps don't know love. 
and whatever form that takes, whatever particular passion that looks like, however it reflects the beauty of uh, individualism that you've placed on each of us, Lord, I want to ask that you might rise that fire within each of us again, reminding us that you have a plan, a dream for our lives. But Lord, I want to thank you that in the midst of this Christmas story, you show the example of this man, Simeon, who turned waiting into anticipating, who recognized that whilst the future was uncertain, that that did not mean that the space in between was not something that he could be uh, unintentional about. And so, Father, I ask for the same of us. I ask that we would be faithful in the way in which we take a next step. And Father, if people are watching right now and, and this is maybe the first experience of church they've had, Lord, I want to ask that you might reveal yourself to everyone watching today as a God who cares for us, who wants to be close to us, who wants to partner with us on adventures. Would you send your Holy Spirit to prompt us and help us to be patient in the meantime. In your name I pray. Amen. That's all for this week. Thanks once again for joining us. We'd love to keep the conversation going, so why not check out Forge Church UK on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram? Or go online at forgechurch.com where you can watch other content, find a next step, give financially, or see any details of what's currently going on in and around the Forge. We're looking forward to you joining us next time.